Round one of the Women's EHF Euro 2022 is in the books. Two of the three hosts had inspiring victories as Slovenia beat Denmark and Montenegro beat Spain, but not so much joy for North Macedonia as they were taught a lesson by the Olympic champions France. We look back at all the games, say what we liked, what we didn't like, and also speak to one of the Slovenia stars, Elizabeth Omeregi, about her fascinating journey to this year's championship. All in the latest Uninformed Handball Hour. It's Chris O'Reilly here, joined by Alex Gulesh. Hey, Chris. Uh, Brian Campion, who's over in Skopje and was there for that lesson being taught this evening. How are you, Brian? Not too bad. And it definitely was that uh, lesson. And it was very, you could feel it in the hall as well. Everyone was uh, obviously hugely disappointed and everyone was really up for the game. Um, It was a, a pretty good atmosphere at the start of the game. And every single goal that North Macedonia uh, did score there weren't many of them in the first half just five got absolutely ruptures of applause and everyone was really behind the team but yeah it was it was a it was a, a very very tall task for this North Macedonian team coming up as you said against the Olympic champions and just the quality of the French defense one thing and then the backcourt I think France actually didn't really play that well but they still managed, obviously, they were just still miles better uh, than this young and probably, i say, fair to say, quite inexperienced North Macedonian team. But that French defence is, when it does work, it, it really smothers teams. Well, one thing is the defence, but so North Macedonia only scored 14 goals, uh, France scoring 24. Um, can you guys guess... How many saves Cleopatra Darlow made from her 15 shots that, that she faced in the first half? Nine. Close? Oh. Uh, eight? Ten. <laughs> Ten. Ten <laughs> saves. Very close. North Macedonia scored five goals in the first half while Cleopatra Darlow was in goal. She had a 67% save rate. And that was one of the questions we had uh, going into this tournament. Oh, what, what's going to happen with uh, France's goalkeeping situation? Well, we got an answer for that. And uh, Cleopatra Darlow definitely uh, stepping in. Of course, greater challenges will be faced in the competition. Yeah, just to... Well, we talked about that before the tournament. I mean, Cleopatra Darlow is a goalkeeper who obviously I think would have been selected regardless anyway. So she would have been there. And uh, I think the questions we had would be more, I think, focused on if she doesn't perform, what the next in line is going to be like. But we didn't really, we weren't really uh, faced with that problem today because she was just, yeah, it's just absolutely incredible. The moans and groans in the hall, every time she saved a, saved a, shaved a shot, was uh, it was incredible. Yeah, I can't believe that the first post-match podcast we're doing, and it's starting with 
the least interesting game. How is it happening? <laughs> oh, this happened. It's, uh, we're, we're, we're building up. So many close games. Like, between one goal, like, last second winners, you know, shocks, surprises. And we're talking about France 24, yeah. Macedonia 14. Uh, okay, no, okay. okay. okay we're so going to move on here. I just want to ask you one. No, no, no. Well, let's move on. That, that was actually... Alex had the idea of... Uh, us saying one of one thing we liked and one thing we disliked from the tournament so far, and that France yeah. North Macedonian game was actually something I disliked. <clears throat> I think it was an awful okay. game of handball. Uh, <laughs> can, I, can I just ask you? Can I just ask you about the the atmosphere for those? First, it took fifteen minutes from North Macedonia to score their first goal of the game. How tense was it in the arena? For those as those fifteen minutes wore on, I was looking around and I kind of think I, I, when I was watching them attack, I was I was thinking I'm not sure they're going to score at all. Because in those first 15 minutes, it looked like they, they were way off the pace in terms of coming up with an idea of how to open up that French defence. And I was like, oh God, this is going to be a really, really long evening. And it was a long evening in the end. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm hoping they can put in at least a good performance or, or two good performances uh, for that home crowd because today wasn't a good day for them. But okay. the next game, the Netherlands versus Romania, was brilliant and i don't know did you both see that i was on jules screen uh half watching poland germany half watching netherlands romania which i think as we all know means you quarter watch both of them so i really should have made a choice but uh yeah i was stuck between the two two very good games but it was netherlands 29 romania 28 is this the thing that you did like from the opening two days? Yes, I, I really did like it. And I also really love the backstory of Per Johannesson turning up late to the Euro. Per Johannesson, the coach of uh, the Netherlands, arrived only this morning. So they had to have he had to have his own little private shoot for the photographs and all the green screen stuff because he was so late. And it was to do with his passport not being accepted when he was leaving Germany. Uh, it was a bit too... Do you know they say you should always renew your passport when you get into that six month period mm -hmm. and he didn't and then the Germans weren't having it so they sent him back to Sweden got an emergency passport and then came down today and there he was he's an absolute joy to shoot in terms of video because he's one of the most expressive coaches and I think he runs a very tight ship with, uh, with every <laughs> team he coaches uh, poor uh, Kelly Duffler who's the captain of the Dutch team was getting an absolute earful at halftime and he followed her all the way up the tunnel. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, but I think she turned around in the end and she uh, got player of the match uh, in the end. So she'd be fairly happy with her performance. She scored five from seven. I, I have something that I didn't like from that game. Uh, and that was Christine Niagu's performance. Uh, she scored three goals from 10 shots uh, and... It really, in the first half especially, she was one from seven, and she got into mm. the game a little bit in the second half. Uh, and I think uh, Romania came back into that game despite her, as opposed to the usual kind of her dragging the team forward, which is probably a good thing for Romania looking at this tournament. Yes, they lost to the Netherlands, um, a, a Dutch team that's that's impressed all of us, and I think they continue to impress. Today, they, they looked good and they were in control for a lot of the game. Uh, and then the fact that Romania could keep it close, despite Christian Yago having such a bad game, 
was actually, you know, is a real positive for them to take forward because Christine Yaga is not going to have too many games quite as bad. Although I just had a hunch going into this tournament that there's just, it doesn't seem like Niagara's in in full flow. She's not a full form going into this tournament. And I had a feeling that um, she might not have the best tournament in, in a sense, Romania not having the, the best tournament because of that. Yeah, I mean, they, they really look to her so much. Uh, when you see her on the court, every single thing goes through her and it's all focused towards her. And the defense on the other side, the Dutch defense, are all kind of almost lean o- leaning over to her side. So there's always a huge emphasis on her on the court. So I think either you're going to, I mean, and she's flourished so many times in the past that we've seen it hundreds of times. But today she just kind of, didn't really look herself and yeah I, I i think i would agree with you alex that uh she'll want to put that one definitely behind her uh before the next game because she is the the heartbeat of this uh, romanian team what about you chris what what did you like give it give something good from the first two days of the championship podgorica coming alive with the sound of handball that is something that I really like to see. Montenegro, uh, everything we spoke about with Georgina Jokovic and Jovanka Radicevic a couple of weeks ago uh, came to fruition. The crowd was fantastic. To be honest, the crowd for all three home teams the last couple of days have been fantastic. And that's kind of also tied into the thing I don't like coming up soon. But um, yeah, really enjoyed that game between... Uh, not so much the game itself. I think Spain really... They, they let the occasion, they let their opponents get to them. But the way Montenegro controlled the game, the way they they fought for every single engagement throughout the whole match, they made every encounter a real battle. And uh, it was a brilliant performance from uh, everyone in the team. I think uh, Rajic in goal had a 45% save rate in the first half. You know, our two, our two guests, Radicevic and Jokovic, five goals each. One of those days where you feel like Spain really should have done a lot better. They could have spoiled the party, but the, they let the occasion get to them and they, they let the mental battle against Montenegro get to them. Yeah, I was very disappointed in Spain, actually. Um, they, they seemed a little bit lost. And for once, you know, we talked with uh, Mary Gonzalez before the tournament and she emphasized how important the Spanish defense is. And it was a mess. Um, in, in that game, Montenegro were able to break through at will, uh, especially in that second half and, uh, 30-23 in the end. That's, it's a much bigger win than I expected, but fantastic for Montenegro. I, I love it. Yeah. Uh, it's great to see a host, uh, really living up to it. It was one of the big reasons that in the Germany game today, which puts me second in the leaderboard. Of the uh, of the overall prediction game on the home of handball app, so I'm uh, I'm really enjoying my start to this prediction tournament. I can't, I can't believe you brought it up already. Um, <laughs> I, I I thought today was going to be a really good day when, with a couple of minutes left in both games, I said to myself, "Oh, didn't I go for both a Netherlands two goal victory and the Germany two goal victory?" Then I looked on the app and I was like, yeah, I went for the Netherlands two-goal victory. It was only one-goal victory in the end. And then I actually had the Poland-Germany one the wrong way around. I went for a Poland two-goal victory, which was an accident. Oh, no. So sad times. And uh, yeah, Poland 
actually uh, at one point could have got that two goal victory in the end they lost 25 23 to germany um kathy filter was brilliant in that one catching everything elena graciel's a brilliant performance eight goals and three assists uh on that so good start for germany actually you watched that game didn't you alex i did i, I watched that game with anya Althaus, uh and to be honest germany got got lucky they were really sloppy they had six turnovers in the first 10 minutes it, it was and their defense was all over the place and poland were pretty incredible on the fast break but um uh, germany kind of only calmed down towards the end of the first half were they able to catch up um, to Poland, who were ahead by as much as three in the first half. And then again at the end of the second half, using that experience to just break away a little bit from Poland, winning by two goals. But I would say a shaky start for Germany, but uh, a lot of potential there. Um, and yeah, Griezel's was was just fantastic. Something I don't like, lads, is fans going home after the first match bad times that's that's tough it is it's really not good i mean it just it's bad vibes when it happened yesterday in uh, in celia after slovenia beat denmark that was an amazing game 28 26 and then you're thinking all right you know the fans are gonna hang out have a lashko celebrate but then they all leave the arena uh, same in Montenegro it looked like there was nobody there in Skopje it looked maybe you can verify Brian looked like there were a few more people there for the uh, Netherlands Romania game maybe because there was quite a few uh, Romanian and a few Dutch fans there but I really don't understand like you you've got two games for the price of one here it's not like you're buying a single game tickets it's a it's a weekend just go and enjoy both games where's the harm Especially with Slovenia when you've won and it was such a surprise. I if I was thinking if that were me, I'd be like buzzing and I'd be like, oh yeah, just going to sit and watch the other game, have a beer. But no. What can we do about it, Chris? What can we do about Lock it? everybody in. That's it. Close the doors. <laughs> free beers. Free beers for the second game. Exactly. <laughs> free beer all round. Uh. If your team loses, you get a free... I've got one thing that i i dislike i i this may be my second thing i dislike but th- this is more because uh I, I really think it was a a tragic event uh and that is sylvia navarro the the legendary uh spanish goalkeeper getting injured right at the end of the first half there was a yeah she got a non-contact knee injury it looked bad the the feedback from the coaches that we've received is that it's not looking good and she was walking out on crutches after the game and for a 43-year-old player that just that can't spell good news just such a legend a captain for Spain and maybe you know that that's something that may have impacted uh, the Spanish players knowing that their captain their their leader um has kind of gone down like that so hopefully you know we'll see in the next couple of days what news comes out but it's not looking good and it would be yeah a a really tough way to open the tournament for spain so do not like that what did you like i liked stars being stars uh and by stars i mean Nuremberg scoring eight goals and it seems to be a lot of left-handed stars uh, because uh, Katrin Kleiber as well nine goals for Hungary uh, eventually when they beat Switzerland 33-28 but Switzerland really pushed them 
really, really push them. But Kluivert was a player that I was looking for, and she turned up. Nur Merck showed up for Norway as they kind of dispatched Croatia really close in the first half, but a, a nine-goal win for Norway in the end. And the, the biggest star of all, the, the star that everyone's eyes were on, uh, Anna Gross, was just absolutely incredible in that game um, where Slovenia just shocked the world, I would say, and beat Denmark uh, 28-26. I think for me, that Slovenia match has was probably the, the biggest standout memory, even though it's only yesterday. In my or two days ago, when you were listening to this, uh, in my head, it just that that was that really felt like something special because it was so unexpected in a way. Going into the tournament, we looked at Slovenia's results and friendlies, and a bit lukewarm, some okay performances and some poor performances. So I think a lot of people didn't really give them a a chance and I think probably a big surprise for a lot of people as well this Denmark team are famous for their defense and and to concede 28 goals I think was also a surprise for a lot of people because we're used to seeing this Danish team keeping the score quite low but they they couldn't against the Slovenia team but Anna Gross was just on fire she she couldn't be stopped and another player that was Absolutely on fire, and I think a big reason why Slovenia have exceeded so so much expectation already is Elizabeth Amaregi. She was on fire everywhere in in attack, her passing, her dynamic movement, and I just loved her defense. She was just she got the aggression and the kind of the impact in the game offensively started when she just like ate someone alive in defense. And it was, it was just amazing to watch. And because of that fantastic performance, we thought it would be a good idea to speak to her. So Chris, you, you had a chance to catch up with her after that game. I did. And you speaking about her defense there, it's, uh, it's very fitting because that seems to be one of the most passionate topics that Elizabeth has to talk about. We had a chat earlier on on Saturday and we spoke about the intensity in defense, their plan to take Denmark apart, how they managed to do it, how it feels to have done it, and also her own very, very interesting personal story. This is a player who was born in Athens to a Nigerian father, a Bulgarian mother, once played for Bulgaria, and, uh, well... I'll let her tell the rest of that story. So let's hear my chat with Elizabeth. So Elizabeth Omaregi, uh, a few hours after last night's victory, I guess you've had a chance now to hopefully sleep a little bit. Uh, how are you feeling about the game and yeah, I guess waking up with a victory? Yeah, it was uh, actually before waking up, it was really hard to fall asleep. It was a really excited uh, evening and uh, I'm really proud and really happy from our team that uh, we showed and uh, we started the championship like that. I always believe in that team and uh, we just said that we cannot enter the team and let them 
kick our ass or beat us or this is our home court, these are our fans and uh, that kept us until all the game. I think we were focused from minute one to minute 60 and uh, the focus was even more and more every minute so I think that um, this was the key. Our key was also to play good defense. I don't know if I reach another topic but we feel great after that. Of course we didn't have so much time to celebrate because already tomorrow we play with Sweden but uh, it's a nice feeling yes to start the championship this way. And I've just realized there's a lot of music in the background. I don't know if that's going to be good for the audio. Maybe we can uh, we can continue as we as we walk somewhere a bit more quiet again. Just like realize there's a oh, I don't know. Is that okay? Maybe that's a bit quieter. Oh that's perfect. Okay. The game yesterday was uh, it was a real back and forth contest. Both teams, I think, had opportunities to to really take control in it. But uh, what do you think made the difference for you and Slovenia to take control in that second half? Uh, I think the difference was that we were not surprised of any play that Denmark uh, did. Uh, we were prepared for every every action. Every we knew that they would not have the chance to change anything because as we know Denmark is a really strong team and Denmark is a team that follows the rules and it's really strict and when you make a mistake they know really how to punish you so we were really focused not doing mistakes first in attack and uh, the mainly in the defense so we were ready for every action and we knew that in the we were also preparing for their game seven against six because we knew that we will bring them in a situation that they will use their last weapon so when they start to play seven against I'm really so excited. When they start to play seven against six, we were like, yes, we just wanted this because we knew how we will solve it. And that was the moment when we turned the game, like the last minutes, because we scored some easy goals on empty goal and uh, they... But they did what we wanted. We were uh, leading their attack, I would say, with our defense. And we had also very good saves from the goalkeepers in the important moments. So that made the, the save. That's uh, uh, yeah, they uh, win. That's, uh, that's super interesting to hear you talk about that because yeah, you had them in the seven v six almost in in your pocket and a couple of really important steals. So it's interesting to to know that you really had that planned. Uh, our coach really prepared us since we started the preparation. Of course, we had some friendly games, but also on the friendly games, he we had in our minds we played with Croatia, but. He, he he gave us to uh, a visualization like when a player from Croatia attacks we think it's that girl from Denmark so when they play because now in handball almost every team play the same actions maybe just the sign it's different but we it, he was also talking about visual visualization so when you come to that situation that you're ready and you go 100% so that was the key that we start to prepare so early about things and the, the last days we were just reminding what we do and we were sure that we know everything so yeah that was the key and it worked out beautifully yeah. uh, it's really nice to hear you talk about the defense as well mm -hmm. because that's something that really stood out was your intensity in defense and I'm interested to know about your like the difference between the way you approach the intensity in defense and then when you transition into attack because you almost seem like two different people yes we we, we get our power in defense for sure this is true and uh, I think our in defense uh, we get a lot of uh, uh, yeah, power, and then we bring it into the attack. So for me, like a defender, I I, I enjoy play. So every time we do a little small stuff, it's the thing. Even if it's a small thing, we really celebrate. And this is when you try to 
break your opponent. So when you go in that in in attack, you you know that you can do anything. So even if you play the game and you don't score, if you play a good defense, it will finish zero zero. So, uh, yeah, in in defense, it's our uh, focus and. Uh, yeah, I think uh, we start uh, okay, but uh, second half, old game was really tight. But uh, yeah, defense made the difference at the end because I, I couldn't say that in our team we had just one player that played really good. I think we really played like a team and we 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 just enjoyed in attack. We were just giving one pass further and we were finding the solution. So in attack, I think it was not such a big problem like uh, maybe defense from oh, time to time. I was really impressed with the way you all combined with the line players as well, the pivots. They had a great, both of them played really well and it didn't matter who was in there. You kept finding them, they kept catching the balls and, and creating the chances. It was nice. Yes, everybody was aggressive, aggressive to the goal. So we were scoring from nine meters, we were scoring from the line and I think it's important how you go and you attack the goal. So if you go and you don't know if to pass to pivot or to go and shot, of course then you don't do nothing. So we were scoring from nine and then they start stopping us from nine then the pivots were three it was just a matter of time yeah so even if uh, we had also the second pivot she's 20 years old even she don't have so much experience she also had such a great things that she did and uh, she was really she was both of them they were really good when think, people think about Slovenia over the last few years, the focus has always been on, on Anna, Anna Gross, and, the, and her kind of leading the team in a way. But it looked like there was a lot of depth in the backcourt as well. You tried so many different combinations. And also in the, the second half, it was interesting that both you and Anna came off halfway through the second half together and then came back on. Was that something that was already planned or how was it in, in the team's mind? No, and it was not a plan, but uh, probably, yeah, wait, I will start like this. So, yeah, I think all this championship, it was uh, a minus that uh, we didn't have so big bench and we didn't have so much rotation. And uh, every championship, Slovenia was uh, surprising a team, like beating, I don't know, Russia, Netherlands or, uh, yeah, so... It was just uh, we were losing our energy every game. So now with a bigger bench, I think the coach knows how, when, who to use. So I think this is a big plus. And the second half about me and Anna staying on the bench, it was uh, for I can speak for myself. I just said to the coach, I just need two minutes. But those two minutes end up to be longer. But even the one that went after me, she was... She was hungry to play. I don't know how to say. He always says to us, you go, you do what you can, you die on the court. And if you want to change, sit and we have a girl that wants to play and wants to give everything. Don't be inside semi. So for me, I can say I just needed a few minutes break. And it worked out perfectly yep. in the end. Yes. Um, and now I want to talk a little bit more about your story, because as I said, it's a very international podcast with people from around the world listening. And I think it's really nice to, to hear about your journey as well, because your uh, your heritage is really beautifully mixed and, and your journey to this team is something we want to hear you from your words. So where to start? <laughs> Uh, so, yeah. your Nigerian father. My father is from Nigeria. My mother is from from Bulgaria. Uh, they met in Bulgaria, so they had my older sister there, and then they moved to Greece, and then I was born in Athens. So we lived there six more years. My other sister was born there, and we went back to Bulgaria. 
So uh, I uh, I started school in Bulgaria all my life. I was in Bulgaria until I moved to Slovenia when I was 17. So then it, this is when I start to play professional handball. So yeah, born in Greece, father's from Nigeria, Slovenia nationality, mother from Bulgaria, and this is yeah. I play now in Romania, so I'm really all, all around the world. My sister lives in Amsterdam, so it's crazy. <laughs> but yeah, this is this is uh, this is it. In shortly. And, and how did you find handball? Because uh, I know in Bulgaria there is handball, of course. I mean, there's a there is a community there in in places like Varna, and yeah. uh, but how did you? come into it and and what made it stick for you to be honest first i was training athletics because my older sister she was uh, she was training also so you know how it is like a second sister you want to follow what the the older do so yeah i was training athletics and then we had a competition and i remember i won two medals i don't know what were they gold or silver or something yeah a sprinter yeah a sprinter and i was jumping really okay. long yeah a long jump so I won some medals and, you know, on these um, competitions, also a lot of coach from different schools come and then they see, okay, let me invite this girl, that girl. So they invited both me and my sister for a handball training. And I came home and I was like, mom, someone invite me for a handball training. What is handball, you know? <laughs> I was, and she was like, ah, yes, I forgot to tell you. I used to play in high school, you know, I was a goalkeeper, but she was playing until her 20s. That's yeah. it, you know? And then I was like, okay, let me try. I will go again with my sister. And at that time, they didn't have a team for my age. So I was going with the old ones. I was very bad, but I was keep going because I wanted to be with my sister. <laughs> so uh, I really, at one point, I was doing both athletics and handball. But somehow handball took my uh, a piece in my heart, like a I don't know, maybe because it was like a collective sport and uh, in uh, athletic, it's okay, I was still a kid, but in athletic, it's when you make mistake, it's you cannot like fix it immediately. It's like you and it's your mistake. In handball, it's like a team sport and if you make a mistake, every time the team can help you. And I don't know, I like traveling with the team, with the games and so on. So I started to train handball then. Like I left athletics and I just continued with handball. But handball in Bulgaria, it's really, it's it's not the best. And uh, everywhere I played, I was leading the team and I was scoring 10, 15 goals plus. It was a normal for yeah. me. But uh, I always wish to play in uh, in a better teams, and I always wish to go somewhere out from Bulgaria. So I came to one point that um, I had an offer from uh, from Cream, and uh, I was 17, so I had one more year of high school. So uh, they invited me to come at least just to for a three four days to see how it is, how if they like me, and if I'm enough good. So first of all, I was so excited. I was like, yes, of course. And then after a few days, I changed my mind and I said, no, I need to finish my school. Maybe I got scared a little bit and I said no. So my, I, I, my final decision was no. And then everybody was calling me and pleasing me. They were like, just go and see how it is. You don't lose nothing. You just go there. You see if you like it, you stay. Of course, if you don't, you can always go back, you know. And then uh, I remember we went with another friend, Gloria. She was also from Bulgaria, so it was a bit easier. We went for three, four days. We just took 
what we needed for that moment. I was not planning to stay. So we went there. I really like it for me. It was like a whole new world. It was like, wow. So in Bulgaria also handball is not so popular. popular. So um, I didn't know about outside handball stars, you know, like uh, probably like Denmark, Norway, they really have good national teams, they follow everything, they know that. Me, I was just a girl that loved to play handball and I didn't know, for example, when I went to Cream, I didn't know they played two times, they won two times Champions League. I was like, what was Champions League that time, you know? No, I now it's funny for me because a friend told me like, Lisa, you remember after a few years, she was like, you remember when you came to Krim and you asked me, what is Champions League? So that was like, wow. So I really liked it. It was everything it was so good, organized and the whole, and it was like a new world for me. So then I was like, I just go, I pack my things and I, and I stay. <laughs> wow. That's quite a story. Yeah. And so I guess it became, became a home for you as well, just for handball, but I guess emotionally, and you because you did play for Bulgaria for a little yeah, while as well. Yeah, I did. And how was that decision then? You know, I guess there's you know a lot of attention on you playing for Krim, and then the Slovenian Federation at some point were talking to you about playing for Slovenia. Was it a a difficult thing in the end? I felt really good in Slovenia. Everybody was with me really nice and I really felt like my second home. I learned a lot and people were really patient with me there. So uh, they offered me really fast to play for the national team, but somehow I didn't feel like I want to do it 100%. So I was keep going with the Bulgaria national team. So um, um, yeah, I got the passport and I should really wait, I think, one more year so I could play officially because it was three years of break. And um, in Bulgaria, they knew that uh, maybe this time will come because there were some jokes like, oh, you will play for Slovenia. And I have also different offers from different national teams. But I said that if I would play for a country, it will be for Slovenia and that uh, I have... I felt something in me that I want to give back the country because really people were really nice. Everything was so nice for me. And that was even easier decision for me. So um, Bulgaria really, uh, also now when I speak to my friends from there, they're really happy and they're really proud of me that I can participate in this kind of championship because with Bulgaria, to be honest, it wouldn't be yeah. possible. Lastly, then I want to ask you about uh, about the next games. I mean, it's uh, as you mentioned yourself, Slovenia have been very good at getting uh, notable wins in the first round, but haven't yet been able to to take it further beyond the main round or anything like that. It's a long way to look ahead, but does yesterday's result change anything in terms of at least how you're approaching the game against Sweden on Sunday? I think the best from the game yesterday is that we raised our team spirit. Uh, if we don't continue in this way, this win can mean nothing and it can mean a lot. So I think we need to focus to win every opponent now because I think we also have the hardest group from all groups. And I think it's really important to win what we can and we will do our best because even if we go further, we want to bring as much point as we can. And I think it's really important what we do now. So we also raise this team spirit and to believe more in us. And I think further in the competition, it's, I would say, a little bit easier 
I think we need to be focused now and try to do our best because going further without points, it's it can be nothing. It's a good way to finish it. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much. Thank you to Elizabeth. Uh, I'm sure you'll agree that uh, it's a really interesting character and it'll be fascinating to see if she can continue to uh, excel for the team in uh, what is her third tournament now. And also super interesting to hear her speaking about Slovenia's defensive output and the plan they had for Denmark, the positions they wanted to put them in, particularly in those uh, 7v6 and 6v5 situations and how Denmark in the end did exactly what they wanted them to, that defensive intensity, the whole intensity of the atmosphere in Celia was fantastic. And it, uh, yeah, it left Denmark a little bit lacking. I don't know what you guys thought watching that game, but it felt particularly in the backcourt that it was only uh, Mio Hoyland who really managed to find a, a solution for Denmark in that game. And in the second half, they became quite nervous in the attack. Yeah, I think... Uh when you say Slovenia had uh, all these traps, I think there was also a real tactic to leave the wings open for Denmark and really focus on closing down the centre. So Trina Usagar had a fantastic game on the right wing for Denmark. She scored seven goals. Um, uh, Cecilia Fries had six goals from the left wing. So those opportunities were available for Denmark throughout the game. And it felt like Slovenia just made sure to shut down the center and that meant the the backcourt players and the line players for uh denmark didn't really didn't get any momentum at any stage so it, it was really interesting to, to have that and on the other side it was almost the opposite where uh, denmark couldn't shut down slovenia's best players being anna gross with eight goals and uh Omarigi herself with uh, four, but they were really, really important four goals at a crucial time. So it, it, it really, it was almost opposites. It seemed like that Denmark were putting a bit more pressure on the backcourt. Slovenia were able to find the the two line players, uh, Lapoya and Klemencic, and then uh, Tamara Mavsarad in the left wing. And particularly the two line players, I wasn't expecting as much out of them as they produced in the end. Balls were just being flung at them and they were catching everything. And that really made the Danish defense have to step back a little bit because they couldn't just jump out on Anna Gross anymore. Uh, I remember one time where literally three of them came out on top of her when they only had one pass left and she just slipped the ball into the line. Also, you know, we, we talk so much about... Uh the goalkeepers for Denmark, uh, they did not no. have a great game. Uh, Reinhardt had, had a better second half uh, with, with five saves, 35%, but uh, Sandra Toft, uh, quite poor, uh, also making a difference. And just Denmark missing three seven meters. Um, that, that was the difference in the game, three seven meter penalties that they missed. How do you think this Danish team is going to react to this? I think it's a, it's a big setback for a team that really had high amb ambitions in this tournament. They're, you know, tipped by a lot of people to definitely make the semi-final and, you know, look to not only, you know, make the semi-final, but make the final and kind of take a next step. Um, this is a real kind of punch in the face for this Danish ambition. How do you think they will react out of this? I think it's it's early days still. And I, you don't, as Chris, you said in the commentary, you're not out of the Euro when you lose one match. Um, so they still have not a whole lot of time, but I think 
they have a really good group there and they're just going to need to I, I think everyone was surprised by by how good Slovenia were and we talked about it before as well that we need the, for Slovenia to do well they're going to need those secondary characters to really really step up and while Anna Gross was absolutely immense I think uh, someone like Tamara Mazvar was uh, was really great there was a point in the game there uh, and it, one of her interceptions and as Chris you were talking about those traps that they were setting and it just worked perfectly and she scored an open net goal and I know we don't like open net goals but that one really felt like that was a huge moment in the game where I was thinking where I, I think you even said it in the commentary Chris you said okay I think they might actually do it yeah. now <laughs> and uh, for someone like for her, her to really step up and and uh, I, I did mention Stanko in the in the yeah. in the preview and she didn't score but it doesn't matter uh it, it was people like Tamara Masvar and Elizabeth Omaregi as well who really who really took on the reins there and it was great to see but for Denmark I think they still have plenty of time and a really good group they're just going to need to start, start out the backcourt and maybe try and and build some confidence before they're playing Serbia next and they'll fancy themselves obviously against Serbia I think it makes it makes that game against uh, Sweden really important you know, if, if Denmark have any ambitions to make it to the semifinals, it actually, you know, losing two games in the preliminary round, which carry over to the main round, is hugely detrimental. You know, what, a lot of pressure on that game between Denmark and Sweden, Chris. It seems like they didn't seem that upset, Denmark. They kind of expected it was going to be a tough game. They lost by two goals. They were like, all right, we can, you know, it's not the end of the world. It's against the hosts. Um, maybe they didn't bank on themselves having to win this one. And probably if you're looking way down the line, they're thinking, yeah, at the end of the day, if we want to get to the semifinal, we're going to have to beat Sweden and we're going to have to beat Norway. And those two games are still yet to come. So maybe that's the way they're thinking about it. And uh, the, the beautiful thing and also the very cruel thing about the Euro and the preliminary round is that Denmark, if they win their next two games, could still finish top of the group and take maximum points if then Serbia go and beat Slovenia in the last game. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. <laughs> and at the moment, it looks like Serbia have to do a lot before we cross that bridge. Uh, absolutely. You commented on that game, Chris, on the Serbia game. Um, it really, I mean, they huffed and puffed a little bit, but it never really felt like they were really threatened Sweden anyway, did they? No, Sweden were switched on right from the start. I think they opened up a, a five-goal lead right away. Uh, Jessica Rida in goal was very strong. Natalie Hogman had a field day at the beginning. They were just really switched on and Serbia weren't. Uh, what really worried me at the beginning of the second half from Serbia is they almost looked like they gave up. Uh, there was a time where... Uh, the uh, Gravats, the keeper, made two saves in a, or three saves in a row, and during that time, Serbia's defense still didn't get back and settled. And then Sweden just played a little one-two from the corner and uh, and got a goal. And that was like, oh, they've really checked out here. But they came alive then halfway through the second half and came back within three. Uh, it looked like they were really coming coming back. And then Urash Bregar took a terrible timeout completely kills the momentum and then Natalie Hogman scores two more goals and kills the game I think terrible terrible decision yeah 
because you said in the commentary as well, you said, uh, I don't know why he's taking this, but he's the coach. He knows more than I do. <laughs> that happens. <laughs> I did say that. And then, well, yeah, I don't know anymore. Natalie Hagman having a field day. It wouldn't really be a Euro preliminary round without Natalie Hagman absolutely tearing it up. It no. kind of feels part and parcel of every single preliminary round you've ever been to that Natalie Hagman just comes and absolutely puts a show. Yeah, I felt like nine, nine goals was a bit disappointing, actually, compared to her usual standards. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the 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 two nineteen goals uh, hole she managed in the World Championship last year against slightly different opposition. But I tell you what, something about Sweden that is really interesting uh, connected with Natalie Hogman and the the other wing player Aylin Hansson is that they're the only two wing players in the Swedish team in the the whole squad, even with the the extra players they have. So in the squad yesterday, they had nine backcourt players, eight of them saw court time and then just one wing on each side it's it's it reminded me of like you know at the olympics when you only have 14 players to choose and so they might just choose one winger each but here the they can bring up to 20 players and they've only got one wing on each side so uh thomas axner really believes in those two wings or maybe feels like you know second choice wingers can come from the backcourt uh, and he's putting all the focus on having as many choices in the backcourt as possible, which I find really interesting when you look at the other the other squads where, you know, Serbia have six wingers in there. They don't really know who to use. Uh, Slovenia have five wingers in there. So, uh, yeah, I just found it really uh, a bit unusual, but not a bad thing when you trust those two wingers you've chosen. I, I would trust Hagman with my life to, to, to play 60 minutes and uh, score every time she needs to. I know we were doing a lot of complaining earlier there in the show about about uh, fans leaving, uh, about some disappointing games. But I really do think this is going to be an incredible Euro. As Alex said, we've had the stars being stars and performing and a few surprises. So I think the basis after those first two match days uh, has been very, very good. Yeah, I agree. And already my prediction of it being uh, a championship with no surprises has uh, been proven wrong. And I'm happy for that. As I said in the last one... It, the, Handball is a sport that loves to smack you in the face when you're making predictions. Yeah, d- w- when Switzerland were level with Hungary after 45 minutes, I was just, the, the whole Croatia cycle was going through my head because in our preview, like literally, <laughs> like in the preview of that first game, I was talking about how Switzerland have no chance. Like really the same words, they're inexperienced, they have no chance, maybe it's a good experience for the future. And then 45 minutes in, I was sweating. I was about to I was about to hand in my microphone and retire as a pundit of handball. But thankfully, thankfully, Hungary did did their job and uh Katrine Kleiber uh oh saved God. saved my ass on that one. That was a double whammy. Not only you're all of us riding off Switzerland, but you saying Hungary is like your dark horses for the championship. Yeah, yeah. What it would have retired me straight away. Moving on to the second round of matches at the HF Euro twenty twenty two. We have in Group A, Croatia against Hungary, Switzerland against Norway. Group B, Slovenia versus Sweden, Serbia versus Denmark. Group C, North Macedonia versus Netherlands, Romania versus France. Group D, Germany versus Montenegro, Spain versus Poland. The big two matches in round two for you, Brian. I think there's going to be some really rough and ready matches. I think the Serbia and Denmark one could get pretty... If it stays close at all, I think it could be... uh, a very very tense one i also think then i think germany montenegro is a very interesting one also i think obviously both of them coming off the, that first win 
Montenegro will be really flying high. As Alex said, Germany will be feeling they came off, they were lucky and hoping to improve there. So that could be a really, really great game. Nice. So I'll probably go for those two. Alex? Romania-France for me, because Romania, as I said, kind of surprised me. I, I thought they were going to be a bit worse in this championship, but they were able to play well, even with Niagio playing poorly. And it's a first tense test for France. Uh, they weren't really tested by North Macedonia. So let's see what they're actually made out of. Uh, so that's that's the big one for me. Nice. Slovenia-Sweden, I think, is going to be a great one. That's kind of that blockbuster one. Uh, the two winners from Group B. And then on the other side of that, Spain versus Poland. I think that's going to be a, a battle for survival there. So, yeah, lots to look forward to in round two. That's it for today. Thank you to Elizabeth Omaregi, as well to Alex and Brian. Thank you all for listening and catch you in two days' time. <laughs>